0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Today's topic is a sobering one. It's a reality. What does the Bible say about suicide? And indeed, the Bible does say a lot about suicide or principles related to suicide. In light of 2 Timothy 3.16, God's word, its scriptures, all of it is inspired. And there's plenty of scripture that addresses this issue of suicide. Uh, so let's go ahead and look at this together, asking God, or specifically the Holy Spirit, to be our teacher through His Word in a very practical way. Uh, some of you might be thinking, even believers might be thinking, well, I don't need a sermon on suicide. I don't get depressed. I've never tried to commit suicide. I've never even thought about it. Well, that might be true of you. Uh, that doesn't mean that you don't need to hear what God has to say about it. But there are others, and it might surprise you that there are actually Christians who struggle with this issue or have in the past. And if you don't struggle with thoughts of suicide, maybe you know somebody that does. Maybe God could someday providentially use you to counsel someone, to comfort someone, to guide someone relative to this issue. So we need to be aware of everything that God's Word has to say. To say that some issue in the Bible doesn't relate to you is to say that Scripture doesn't relate to you. A Christian should never be in a position of saying that. So this really relates to every one of us. We have to know what God thinks about all the issues of life that affect us. I know I have to deal with this issue. If you're a counselor or a pastor of any kind, it's inevitable that within a short period of time you're probably going to get people confiding in you about very personal, intimate issues and sensitive issues. And one of those is probably suicide. I know that's true of me over the course of 20 years. I've had people at times talk to me, confide in me, confess to me, cry out to me regarding thoughts, of suicide as a matter of fact just in the last 6 months i've probably had it brought up in conversations of people i was either talking to or counseling with 4 or 5 6 times in just 6 months and most of these people that are talking to me are believers they're christians not all of them but some of them were so it's an issue i know that i have to deal with as a pastor and then and there are issues that go on in the hearts and minds of people that they don't voice they don't articulate so Just because you don't hear about it necessarily or you're not running into it doesn't mean it's not going on in the minds and the hearts of people. So this is a vitally important issue. And I just thank God that His Word is sufficient. God speaks authoritatively on this issue. He doesn't just speak authoritatively on the issue of suicide by defining it and explaining what it looks like. God provides the solution. And the solution is only in God and in Jesus Christ. And to that end, let's go ahead and look at what the Bible has to say about suicide. And again, I formed this around several questions that I just wanted to answer because when it comes to suicide, I do get frequent questions. I think one of the most frequent questions that people ask about suicide in the context of Christianity, the Bible, religion, whatever, is if someone commits suicide, do they immediately go to hell? Or if someone commits suicide, do they automatically go to hell? That is, that's the most common question I know that I have received personally and also have read about. And if you think about it, what they're really saying, you could phrase it a couple other ways in different forms of a question. If, when people are saying, if someone commits suicide, do they go automatically to hell? really what they're saying is, is suicide the unpardonable sin? Or another way, is suicide the worst sin possible that could be committed? That's really what they're saying. And I would say, "Mm, no. All sin is unrighteousness, says the epistle of John. And so, they, you know, equating it to murder. There are murderers who got forgiven and went to heaven, right? Moses, David, the Apostle Paul, right? So that's the most frequent question. But when they're saying it, even in the context of maybe a Christian, And I've had this happen. If a Christian commits suicide, do they go to hell? We've got some more fundamental basic issues that need correcting there. Because really what you're saying, by entertaining that question, if a Christian commits suicide, does that Christian go to hell? Is you're saying that a Christian can lose their salvation. Christians cannot lose their salvation. A Christian is someone who has been born again, regenerate, transferred from the kingdom of darkness and adopted into the family of God forever and eternally. A Christian cannot lose salvation. Therefore, a Christian, even if a Christian committed suicide, they aren't going to hell. The more important question is, was that person really a Christian that committed suicide? Ultimately, we don't know because we can't judge people's hearts and their motives. We can't. Only God can do that. That is His judgment. But definitively, the Bible's clear. If a Christian committed this atrocity and committed suicide, if it was a true believer, they're not going to hell. But we're, we're going to address that question. So anyway, those are kind of preliminary questions to the formal ones that I've put here. So let's go ahead and look at our outline here and answer these questions, what the Bible has to say about suicide. First, with a definition. As always, this kind of sets the stage and is very important when any time you have a conversation about important or controversial or difficult issues, you've got to start with clear definitions that are accurate. What is suicide? One good definition from a Bible dictionary is it's the act of killing oneself voluntarily and intentionally. Voluntarily and intentionally. I would also add to that, suicide is taking life illegitimately. Taking life illegitimately. It's taking your own life illegitimately. Today, in our culture, you have to add a word in there. Taking human life illegitimately. A lot of the growing environmentalist, hyper-environmentalist movement that believes that animal life is as precious as human life and killing the spotted owl is murder. That's not true. It's okay to kill the cute little pig and have bacon for breakfast with your eggs. God said, Peter, that is good. It's tasty too. So anyway, it's taking human life illegitimately. That's the definition. Some would say it's an extension of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20:13, Thou shalt not murder is the literal Hebrew translation. Some will say, well, thou shalt not kill. Well, no, it, literally the Hebrew word is a specific word. There are different words in Hebrew for kill. This one is very specific. It means murder. That word is never used for uh, killing outside the context of illegitimate murder. So that the literal translation is thou shalt not murder and that's taking human life illegitimately and when you do that to yourself suicide that is an extension or a form of murder we're going to see why so that's what suicide is point number two what is oh is suicide mentioned in the bible absolutely that's why the bible sufficient that's why we have the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture there's not an important issue that we have to deal with in life that is not addressed in the bible specifically and thoroughly or sufficiently hence We believe in the doctrine of sufficiency. We can talk about anything pertinent to life. And the answer is in the Bible. Well, what about my calculus exam? Can't help you there, pal. But all these other issues that pertain to living life, Scripture addresses suicide as one of those. Uh, So point number two, where is suicide mentioned in the Bible? I looked at several sources. uh, And every source that I looked at, they all said, here are all these suicides in the Bible. And every single one of them was missing one or two. So I took them all together. Here's a comprehensive list. Uh, of where is suicide in the Bible, we're going to move quickly, but uh, one that wasn't mentioned by anybody, I would say this is a reference to suicide, not somebody committing the act of suicide, a reference, so I'll qualify it. Uh, These are either actual suicides described in the Bible or references to potential suicides in the Bible, so that does broaden it a tad. But suicide always flows from the heart, the mind, the thought life, lest God should intervene, that's why I put these in there. So the first one, surprisingly, you might think, is Job. Did Job commit suicide? No. Was he on the brink of it? Possibly. Very well. Was his wife on the brink of it? Well, for him, she was. Look at what she said. Job's having this hard time. They lost ten kids. Uh, And many times when parents lose a child in an an accident or suddenly, it it does impact the parent's life. Many times parents will. They will contemplate suicide. Losing the life of a family member, a spouse, or a child. Um, So I understand their frame of mind. So they're grieving over their losses. Uh, Verse 7 says in chapter 2 of Job, Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd or like a piece of glass to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Job was. So Job is miserable. Satan is literally attacking their life, their family, their enterprise, their finances, everything. They're losing everything. Everything. And there's satanic oppression. This has influenced the husband-wife relationship to the greatest extent and degree. And look at the wife. Job's wife. Mrs. Job, I think her name is. Verse 9, Then Job's wife said to Job, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die! That's what she was saying. She was telling Job to commit suicide. Wow. What was she being driven by? She was being driven by her emotions. She was being driven by despair. She was being driven by a lack of hope. She was being driven by external circumstances. She was being driven by short-sightedness, not seeing the grand plan of God, of the sovereign God. She was myopic. She was losing hope. And she tells Job, just kill yourself, husband. Verse 10, look at how Job responded. He sings that song. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what he did. But he said to her, this is his wife, I'm glad I wasn't in the kitchen at the table during dinner when they had this conversation. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. You are foolish, woman. Wow. Do not try this at home. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. You know, he said that it was a strong rebuke. It wasn't because he was defending himself. He's defending the integrity of God. That's why this is a legitimate rebuke. Not defending himself. You're, you're speaking like a foolish woman. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Wow. What a challenge. And get this. Was, was Job being sinful in the way that he talked to his wife? No. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. It is okay to defend the integrity of God by rebuking another sinner. But there's an incident of uh, suicide being considered by somebody. The other one, go ahead and look at this one. This is well known. 1 uh, Samuel 31. So you got... Saul, who is the king of Israel, he was the first king of Israel, reigned for 40 years. Uh, he came out of the will of God and he got a vendetta against King David and tried to kill him. And then, but he was also a warrior and he had a son named Jonathan. And sometimes he liked Jonathan and sometimes he didn't. And then they went to battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines were slaughtering the Israelites or the Jews in battle. And that's where first, uh, uh, chapter 31 of 1 Samuel picks up, verse 1. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel. The Jews against Saul and his army. And the men of Israel fled. They were running away from the Philistines. Why? Because they were getting slaughtered by the Philistines. It was ugly at Mount Gilboa. Verse 2, And the Philistines overtook Saul, the king, and his son. Finally caught up to him. Saul and his cohort. And the Philistines killed Jonathan. Wow, that's Saul's son. Jonathan, great man of God. Killed Jonathan and Aminadab and a couple of others. Uh, verse 3, and says, The battle went heavily against Saul and the archers. Those guys shooting arrows... They just pummeled King Saul with arrows, probably all over his body. He knew that's it. Couldn't walk anymore. He's going to die in the middle of battle. So he gets pummeled with these arrows, and they hit him, and he was badly wounded by the archers, was King Saul. Verse 4 Then Saul said to his armor bearer, so he's got an assistant who's helping him. And his assistant is right there, and Saul turns to his armor bearer and says, Draw, Take out your sword and pierce me through. Kill me with the sword. Lest these uncircumcised Philistines come, pierce me, kill me, or pierce me through, and make sport of me. Saul knew that if the Philistines got a hold of him, they would torture him like an alley dog before its death. He didn't want to be tortured by the enemy. Kill me, but his armor bearer, chickened out, would not, wouldn't kill the king, for he was greatly afraid, and so Saul the king took his sword and he fell on it. In other words, he killed himself. It's an act of suicide. Verse 5, And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul, the king, had killed himself, he also fell on his sword and died with him. This was a spontaneous, impulsive act of suicide, which is a high percentage of the kinds of suicide predominant among youth in our country. Impulsive, spontaneous acts of suicide. That's Saul and his armor-bearer. A couple others you can write next to Saul because they're also in Samuel. 2 Samuel 17.23. It's another one. Ahithophel. 2 Samuel 17:23. That was David's counselor who turned on David and then began to serve Absalom because Absalom usurped David's throne. And Ahithophel became a counselor to Absalom. And then one day uh, Absalom asked Ahithophel up for advice of what they should do against David. And Ahithophel said, well, I think you should do this and go and slaughter David. And then he turned to another counselor and the other counselor said, no, I don't think you should do that. And he went with the other counselors Advice and not Ahithophel's, and it hurt Ahithophel's feelings because he went home, set his house in order, and hung himself. Boy, he had thin skin. But anyway, um, then there was Zimri. He was a king. He only reigned for seven days. First Kings 16:18. Also committed suicide after reigning only seven days. First Kings 16:18. So you got suicide. Then there's this one of Samson. Let's look at that one. Judges 16:30. Because Samson was he was a believer. I believe Samson is in heaven. He was called a judge. He judged or ruled on behalf of God, on behalf of the Israelites. But you might be thinking, well, Samson, he was a sinner! He was a pathetic sinner! Then I would just say, well, so are you! And so am I! So that's why I think he's in heaven. He was saved by grace through faith and he was a pathetic sinner. But anyway, he's also courageous at times for God. And here's one of his courageous moments, Uh, but I don't know if it was the wisest or if it was what he should have done, but he did. So he had been finally... Uh, taken captive, tied up, thrown in prison, and they gouged his eyeballs out. Yikes. Sitting there in prison, blinded. And then we pick up in Judges 16 at the end of his life, starting at verse 14. The Philistines shouted as they got together, carousing, probably having a bunch of alcohol and everything else, and one big orgy, and three to 4,000 people are invited to this massive palace of the Philistines. And they've got... Uh, Samson, the judge, on hand in prison and say, hey, let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Let's mock Samson. Let's have him entertain us. Let's bring out Samson. And they did. So they brought Samson out and his eyes were gouged out. Came out of the prison. Uh, Judges, chapter 16, starting at... Let's pick up uh, verse 25. It so happened... Yeah, chapter 16, verse 25. It so happened that uh, they were in high spirits probably having too much alcohol, call for Samson, that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from prison. Uh, He entertained them. In other words, they were mocking them. And they made him stand between pillars. So there were probably two massive pillars on each side holding up this huge palace of an edifice. He can't see anything. But he's between two pillars. The house was filled with over 3,000 people that were up on the balcony or the roof. Verse 28, Samson called to Yahweh the Lord, the God that he knew personally, Oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this one more time, O oh God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, braced himself against them, the one on the right and the other on his left. Verse 30, and Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he killed in his entire lifetime. So Samson committed suicide in the act of trying to kill all these Philistines, over 3,000 of them. So, but it was an act of suicide. Another example that I didn't see anybody mention when I was studying of who committed suicide or at least attempted to is this young boy in Mark 9 we're not going to go there i just wanted to refer it to you so there's a, a demon possessed boy and the dad brought the demon possessed boy probably a teenager actually so if your teenager is acting really weird it could be that they're demon possessed or it could be that they're just teenagers i'm just kidding um so anyway but this boy's probably a teenager because jesus asked him how long has your boy been acting like this and he said from childhood so it's been years And in Mark uh, 9.17 and also in Luke 9, it says uh, Jesus came up to the boy who was demon-possessed. Jesus spoke to him and all of a sudden he he goes down on the ground. His mouth is foaming. He's thrown all over the place, flailing his body everywhere. And he had a practice of doing that. And the dad said routinely when he acted like this and went into a demonic convulsion, he would try to roll into the fire because the demons who were inside of that boy were trying to kill the boy, trying to murder the boy. And from a boy's point of view, or as we look at it, this boy's trying to kill himself in the fire. That looked like suicide. Point being that suicide can be driven by demons. As is this case with this young boy. The most infamous suicide, no doubt, is the one with Judas that Sam read about earlier. So that's Matthew 27. We read it earlier. I don't need to read it now. But Matthew 27.5 just gives the context that Judas is there. He he led the brigade of soldiers to go and arrest Jesus. Judas knew what he did was wrong. He knew that Jesus was totally innocent. It caught up to Judas. His conscience was bothering Him. And he was being burdened with guilt. And when your Bible says that Judas felt remorse, that is not the best translation. Literally, Judas felt guilt. There was no repentance whatsoever. When you sin, you sin against God first and foremost. Against thee and the only have I sinned, said David, when he committed murder. Please forgive me, said David. God forgave him. There's no record of Judas ever asking God for forgiveness. He had guilt. He had unconscionable guilt. He had guilt that could not be consoled. That's what drove him to despair and an act of suicide. And so that's why Matthew 27 says when he saw Jesus get arrested and condemned to death, Judas was overwhelmed with guilt in light of what he had done because he betrayed innocent blood. And it says, he gave away his money. He went to the field that he purchased. He got a rope, tied it to a tree, hung himself on a branch. And while he was hanging from the branch, Acts chapter 1 says, or implies, the branch broke, and Judas fell down a great distance and splattered all over the rocks. And his gut spilled out. That's how graphic it is in Acts chapter 1. Judas committed suicide, driven by guilt, unforgiven. Another. Reference to potential suicide is Acts chapter 16. This is where Paul and Silas were on missionary journeys, planning churches. They went through Philippi. They got in trouble for talking about Jesus and the gospel. So they got thrown in prison. Then they get released from prison by a supernatural intervention from God. And that's Acts 16. It says there was a huge earthquake in verse 26 of Acts 16. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns, rejoicing as they're incarcerated and in chains. God answers their prayer. Suddenly, verse 26, there's a huge earthquake. The foundations of the prison house were shaken. The whole prison is shaking tremendously. Huge convulsions of the earth, and immediately all the doors of the prison were open. That is an act of God. And the prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas, and they they were there. So there everybody's around listening. There are soldiers, there are prison guards, there's this tumultuous earthquake. All the gates are opened. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened instantaneously, including Paul and Silas and all their associates. Verse 27, there was a jailer who was responsible. The Barney Fife of Philippi or whatever his name was. He was responsible. And in the Roman government, if you have been trusted with somebody who has committed a capital offense and potentially could die, if you let them out of prison illegitimately or if they sneak out of prison or they get away, the authorities are going to Take your life in place of their life. So the jailer knew, man, if Paul and Silas, if they get out and all these prisoners get away, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. So this jailer was at a point now of immediate despair and hopelessness. He just panicked, freaked out, did not know what to do, and his only recourse was killing himself. Verse 27, when the jailer had been uh, roused out of sleep by the massive earthquake and he'd seen all the prison doors open and all the prisoners probably fleeing out of their cells, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Literally, ready to thrust it in his body, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out as as he saw the jailer about to commit suicide, saying, do yourself no harm, for we're all here. All the prisoners are here. And he called for the lights, rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul the prisoner on his knees and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And that's where Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that jailer was. How do you overcome Total despair, no hope. Salvation in Jesus Christ—that's the answer. It's the only solution. So is the Philippian jailer, and then the last one that I put there is G. And that—who else uh, wants to commit suicide? Are the earth dwellers of Revelation? The earth dwellers are mentioned about twelve or thirteen times in the whole book of Revelation. It's the best translation. It's a participle first introduced in Revelation 3:10. The earth dwellers, and it's a, used as a noun of people. These are unbelievers who get the mark of the beast. 666 six, six, on their head or their forehead. They've rejected the Gospel of Jesus Christ. They are earth dwellers. They hate God. They are rebels and they know it and they're proud of it. And they celebrate their rebellion in the end times during the tribulation. That's who these are. These are earth dwellers. They're not heaven dwellers. Earth is their home. Sin is their home. They defy God. God pours out judgment on them. And that's what's described actually. Let's go to chapter 9. During the tribulation, God pours out judgment on the earth dwellers to punish earth dwellers. This is a very specific and choice kind of punishment that is poured out when God pours out this judgment in chapter 9. He doesn't do it on everybody indiscriminately. He's discriminate because verse 4 says, when this judgment came out from God, from heaven, to torture people for half of a year, God did it only on the men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Verse 4. In other words, only unbelievers were being tortured with this judgment. God was selective. God was discriminating as He was with the Jews during the time of Joseph in the land of Goshen with the ten plagues in Egypt. He was discriminating in His judgment. And so these people are going to be tormented for almost half a year, verse 5 says of chapter 9. And, they, and get this, they're being tormented, pierced, pained, non-stop, daily, from God, supernaturally, verse 5. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, uh, God's torturers, but to torment these people for five months, earth dwellers. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. That is painful. And these people are getting torment and stung. In verse 6 it says, In those days, men, earth dwellers, they will seek death. Literally, they will seek to commit suicide. Because they can't live with the pain. They will seek death, but they won't find it. Wow, they're going to seek death. Why? Because they hate God. They defy God. That's Revelation chapter 6. They know God is judging them and it says they, they tried to ask the rocks to fall on them and crush them as they stick their fist in God's face. Curse you, God. And they're trying to die. That's their motive in trying to commit suicide. Let's go on to number three. Speaking of motive, why do people commit suicide? One of the marks of a lousy counselor is that you think one size fits all. In other words, there's just one pat answer or reason for whatever issue you're confronted with what I mean by that is a lousy counselor would say well you know all people commit suicide for the same reason well no they don't that's not helpful to anybody it's just not being realistic all people get divorced for the same reason well no they don't all people commit adultery for the same reason Well, no they don't not ultimately in terms of practical situations that arise that's also true of why people commit suicide so I'm gonna breeze through this pretty quick because I want to really get down to points G and H, which are the most important that we're dealing with, because there's some kinds of suicide we're not even going to talk about. I don't even want to refer to, because that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, But why do people commit suicide? Well, from some of the biblical examples we looked at, I think King Saul committed suicide out of pride. That's letter A. So some people do commit suicide out of pride. Another reason that people commit suicide is out of retaliation or revenge. Judges 1630. That's what Samson did. He committed suicide out of revenge. That was his prayer. God... Avenge me! That's revenge. This is very common. I had a very good friend when I was in college who went through a years-long litigation over a suicide that happened that he was privy to and involved in. And it was a young man in his 20s. And the family of the young man in his 20s was suing my friend and some of his friends trying to blame them for this young man's suicide. And my friend in the end they won the court case. They were not liable. And my friend was explaining all this after five years of litigation. He said, you know, a lot of people have the wrong perception that people always commit suicide because they have low self-esteem or they hate themselves. So that's not true. I, I learned that in this experience, this long, grueling experience. The one thing that I learned is some people commit suicide out of absolute, total, total, utter hatred for somebody else. I was like, wow, please explain that one. Well, they found out that this young man, he hated his dad with a passion. In order to punish his father till his father went to the grave, he knew the greatest thing he could do to hurt his father was to take his own life. Because he knew that his father would be riddled for guilt forever. And that is exactly what happened. And that's why some people actually commit suicide out of retaliation or revenge or whatever. Um, sometimes people commit suicide out of guilt. Uh, un, a burden of guilt that they don't see forgiveness for. That's Matthew 20. That was Judas and many other people. Uh, sometimes people commit suicide as an act of war, whether it was the kamikaze airplanes of World War One and World War Two, or the modern-day uh, pipe bomber who has a bomb in his vest and he walks into a pizza parlor and he's willing to kill himself in order to maim and hurt others. I'm not talking about that kind of suicide today. That's this is just utter hatred. Um, some people commit suicide out of fear of justice. That's letter E. They fear God. That was the earth dwellers. Here's the irony. The people in Revelation 6 and Revelation 9 who hate God, commit, they want to commit suicide to run away from God. But little do they know when they kill themselves, that ushers them immediately into the presence of God. Because that's what Hebrew says. The point of men to die once and then the judgment. Every human soul will be the, before the throne of God as judge being accountable for what they did in their body and in their spirit in this lifetime. But some people do that out of a fear of justice either in this life. See, that's why we read these bizarre stories that happen occasionally, periodically even here in America where some guy killed his entire family and then in the end he takes the gun to his own head. What did he do that for? Or he goes and he kills all his co-workers and then he takes the gun to his own head. What, what, why did he do that? Well, because ultimately he feared justice, right? He didn't want to get caught by the police and whatever. And that was his motive, really. Uh, F, we saw that one of the reasons of why people commit suicide could be demon possession. We don't talk much about that today, but I believe that Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, as are his demons tormenting and affecting people. Many times we just misdiagnose it and say, oh, it's a disease, let's give him medication. Or we, don't, we don't even consider it a spiritual issue anymore. We've become so secularized as though Satan isn't real anymore. No, he is. Satan was behind everything in terms of tormenting Job and his family. But the last two I want to emphasize and that are pertinent for us, reasons why people commit suicide and reasons why they don't. One of the main reasons people commit suicide is despair. That is G. Despair. Like the Philippian jailer. He had no hope. He was in utter despair. There's no answers. There's no hope. There's no forgiveness. This life isn't worth living. Despair. This is common. It's commonplace in America, just in light of some of the stats in the last couple of years here in the United States. I'll just read a couple of them to you. More than 32,000 suicides occurred in the, around the U.S. just in one year. This is the equivalent of 89 suicides per day, one suicide every 15 minutes. So during the course of our worship service, three to four suicides statistically will have taken place somewhere in the United States. Uh, 33% of all known suicides here in the United States involve alcohol. Almost 50% involve either alcohol or drugs, marijuana, whatever, cocaine, some artificial stimulant. Uh, 80% of all U.S. suicides are by men, men. And the vast majority of those are white men, white grown up men. And the two largest categories of suicides are young people ages 20 to 35 and get this men over 65 they're without hope they have despair which totally makes sense doesn't it? if you're 20 to 35 what are you doing? you're growing up you're trying to figure out your identity and who you are and what is your purpose in life and people who don't know Christ they don't have a purpose in life that's why Paul said in Ephesians 2 remember when you were an unbeliever without God and without hope in the world That's the definition of an unbeliever. Without hope. That's why people commit suicide. Without hope. Hopelessness. So you got young people. They don't have hope. They don't have an identity. They don't have a purpose. And then 65 and older, the second largest category of people who commit suicide. That also makes sense, doesn't it? People have lived their whole life and it's like, I had no purpose. This was all for naught. This is meaningless. And they take their life. Because they never found the solution. They tried everything else, didn't find the real solution. So those are just some interesting statistics. For for females, the highest category of females uh, that commit suicide in the U.S. is uh, dramatically between ages 40s and 50s. And I don't know what the cause of that, but coincidentally that's when many women are struggling hormonally to the greatest degree. At least that's what they say, so... Uh, Another interesting statistics, uh, men, 60% of men who commit suicide use a firearm to do it. 40% of women, when they commit suicide, they rely upon pills and and drugs, poisoning, uh, different methods. So anyway, those are just modern-day statistics for us of uh, why people commit suicide. So this lack of despair, without hope in the world. And then finally, why do people commit suicide? Uh, Letter H. This is really why people don't commit suicide and this is a common reason given people especially in the secular world will say well people commit suicide because they hate themselves and what they need to do they need to learn to love themselves accept themselves and boost their self-esteem but that is the exact opposite of what the bible says the bible is clear people don't hate themselves people innately all the time love themselves that is the clear teaching of scripture flies in the face of conventional wisdom, I know, but that's what the Bible says. People don't commit suicide ultimately because they hate themselves. just gave you several reasons why they commit suicide. But in light of this truth, that's why Jesus said in Luke 9.23, He knew the human soul and could diagnose it better than anybody because He was God and He created every human being. And He knew what was in the heart of man and woman. And that's why He said, if you want to come after Me and be a Christian, you need to deny yourself. You need to hate yourself and love Me. Because Jesus knew that's what we do innately. We are innately, inherently, inescapably, in and of ourselves, self-centered. Consumed with self. And that's why people who frequently commit suicide, they did it in isolation when they were by themselves. They're consumed with self. Thinking about themselves, their problems. They, don't, they aren't other-oriented thinking about other people or God. That's why Second Timothy three, 2 Timothy 3:2 says that in the latter times this sinful world will be characterized by people who hate God, they're disobedient, and they are lovers of self. Categorical description of what unbelievers are like. A lover of self. Even as a Christian, I love myself. I care about myself. I am self-centered. That's what drives me. In and of myself, and I have to deny myself and lean on the spirit and try to think of others with God's help because it doesn't come naturally even to me as a Christian. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5.29, Husbands, love your wife the same way you love yourself because, husband, you always love yourself. You're always self-centered. You're always seeking your own best. You need to love your wife as you love yourself. And then Paul goes on in verse 29 and says, For no human hates himself. No human hates his own flesh. Despite what conventional wisdom might try to tell us. Let's go on to number four. Why is suicide a sin? Well, according to Wikipedia... The authority of the day. You know what's so great about Wikipedia, they say, is that anybody in the world can go on there and say anything they want to about anything. Isn't that cool? I mean, how reliable can that be? Anyway, boy, you better cross-check Wikipedia because the first sentence in Wikipedia on suicide says this. Christianity says that suicide is a sin because of Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine. No, it doesn't. Aquinas came 1,200 years after the Bible was written in the New Testament. That's not why it's a sin. It's a sin because God said so, and it's in the Bible uh, based on biblical principles. So why is suicide a sin? Uh, A through D. Well, this is true for everybody, believer and unbeliever alike. God is the owner of every life as the Creator. God has created every human being in His image. Therefore, every human being is precious and has innate and inherent value before God the Creator. So by virtue of creation, every human life is precious and belongs to God, is God's property. Every human soul belongs to God. That's Ezekiel 18.4. God said, thus declares Yahweh the Lord, every soul is mine. Every soul. Well, even the atheist who doesn't believe in God, even the atheist who doesn't believe in God, the atheist tells God, God, I don't believe in you. And God says in return, well, I own you anyway. It's Ezekiel 18.4. That's why it's a sin. It's violating what God owns. He owns your life. He owns your body. Why else is suicide a sin? It glorifies Satan. Satan was a murderer from the beginning. Satan glorifies murder. Satan is a murderer. Satan invented murder. Satan continues to invent murder. Satan is hell-bent on death and destruction of human beings. First Peter 5.8 says, Behold, beware of the devil. He is alive. He roams around planet Earth seeking whom he may destroy. He's the murderer. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says that Satan's greatest tool is death, And Jesus came to die on the cross, absorb the wrath of Almighty God, rise from the dead, ascend into heaven, to conquer the greatest weapon of Satan, which is death. That's Hebrews 2:14. So it glorifies Satan. Suicide does. Death does. Death always glorifies Satan. So anytime there's conversation about suicide and contemplation of suicide and joking about suicide, you're actually giving glory to Satan, his greatest tool. Think about it that way. That's very practical, isn't it? It's a practical rebuke, actually. C, uh, suicide is a sin if you're a Christian because it violates the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, if you're saved, God redeemed you soul and body and your physical body belongs to the holy spirit because he literally lives inside of you and everywhere you take your body the holy spirit lives there and goes everywhere you go and if you're if you commit suicide you're actually sinning against the holy spirit and messing with his temple that belongs to him your life is not your own your body is not your own therefore glorify god in your body so your soul's not your own and your body's not your own everything belongs to god especially for a christian And then letter D, God is the owner of every believer as the Savior. Jesus Christ redeemed every human soul and everybody that goes with it with His precious blood. That's what Acts 20 and 1 Peter say. With His precious blood at the cross. The Father owns you, the Spirit owns you, and Jesus owns you, Christian. And also, it's it's a sin because it's an, an act of a lack of trust and faith in God, right? You've given up on hope and trust in God. If you commit suicide, and Scripture says to the believer, trust in the Lord, wait on Him, be patient. You're not any different than anybody else. Everybody is subject to temptation and trials. Number five, is suicide an unpardonable sin? I'd just say no. It's not the unpardonable sin. It is not the unforgivable sin. Uh, 5A is a form of murder. It is a forgivable sin. David committed murder. Psalm 32, verse 5. He prayed to God and asked for forgiveness of murder, and God granted him forgiveness for murder. Moses committed murder. Moses asked forgiveness from God, and God granted Moses forgiveness for all of his sins, including murder. Hebrews chapter 11 says he was a man of faith. He is in heaven. The Apostle Paul was guilty or liable for murder of Christians, and yet the Apostle Paul got saved and was forgiven for his sin, even though he admitted in First Timothy 1 he was the worst sinner there ever was. God saved him anyway. Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. That's point number B. Justification imparts total, eternal, irrevocable forgiveness before God. When you become a Christian, regardless of what you've done in your life, I don't care what your sin was. You committed murder. You contemplated suicide. Some deviant sexual immoral behavior. Abortion. It doesn't matter. If you go before Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin and asking Him to save you because He died in your place. He absorbed the wrath of God at the cross for you. You can be forgiven. That is the good news. That is the hope of man. Isn't it? Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. That takes us to question number six. Well, do Christians commit suicide? And again, you know, Samuel says, reminds us from God's point of view that human beings look on the outside and the external of a person. Only God can measure and know what's going on in the heart. So ultimately, I don't know if anybody's truly born again or not. Only God does. I I just have to go based on their profession of faith, their actions, their deeds, their words, right? To the best of our ability. Do Christians commit suicide? Well, I'd answer it this way, letter A. Believers are vulnerable to all sin and temptation. Point blank. And I think being tempted to suicide is a temptation to sin. Just like a temptation to drink too much alcohol or a temptation to give in to sexual lust or a temptation... I don't care what the sin is. It's no different. And Jesus said categorically in Matthew 26, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And every Christian is a flesh... Feet of clay, weak, finite, vulnerable, sin inside of them. Therefore, every single one of us is susceptible to every conceivable sin, and I would say even including suicide. Believers are vulnerable to all sin. B, believers struggle with doubt, deception, despair, and guilt. This is the rock bed of what is preemptive or what brings about the act of suicide, these issues. Doubts, deception, despair, and guilt. We all all have to be confronted with it at one time or another. Everybody's vulnerable. Job was vulnerable. He was doubting. Job 3. David was doubting in Psalm 32 and many others. Solomon was doubting in Ecclesiastes 2. The Apostle Paul had doubts at times. Or just sometimes he was grieved by this life and the trials of this life. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says he got to the point where he despised or despaired even of life itself. Does that mean he was going to commit suicide? No, it just meant he despaired even of life itself. He was down in the dumps. So every Christian struggles with doubt, deception, despair, and guilt. And then finally, her see suicide is incompatible with the Christian's hope. If you are truly a born-again Christian, that means you don't have to commit suicide because you don't, you're probably feeling guilt. And that's because of your sin. And your sin deserves death. But the death has already been executed on Jesus Christ. He died in your place. Therefore, you don't have to be guilty if you know Jesus Christ. Therefore, you have nothing but hope. And it's all in the future and it's all in what God did. All in what Jesus did. On the cross, He absorbed the wrath of God. He gave you purpose and meaning in life. He's given you the Holy Spirit to live in you, to comfort you. Suicide is totally incompatible with the Christian's hope because this home, this life is not our own. I mean, this this life now is not ours, is it? This is not our home. We are here temporarily. We live in a fallen world. This world is messed up. We should feel like we're going against the grain. We lived in a messed up body. Sin lives inside of us. Torments us. We battle and wage with the lust within our heart every single day, says Peter. So I understand what it means to be down in the dumps, to to be depressed, to be going through these valleys like this emotionally and everything else, to be tormented in the soul. Every human being is subject But when you become a Christian, you're in a spiritual war. The Holy Spirit living in you versus the sin living in you and all that that entails. But your hope is real. It is in Christ. He rose from the dead. He reigns on a high. All of our hope is in the risen Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who will impart total, complete, eternal forgiveness for any sinner who comes to Him. That is our hope. And hope is the antithesis of the motive of suicide. So what is the solution for suicide in the world? There's only one answer. It is the hope in Jesus Christ. So that's why on the phone when I have some people talking to me literally about suicide, I cut right to the Gospel. I mean, I've had people actually ask me, well, wouldn't it be better for me to commit suicide and that way I just go to heaven right away anyway and be with Jesus? And I say, well, not necessarily. Well, why not? Well, how do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? Well, because I'm a good person. Whoa, wrong answer. If that's your hope, you're not going to heaven. Then I have to give them the Gospel. The only hope and solution is in Christ and His Gospel. I'm going to add a number seven, and that's the solution that we need to give and think about ourselves regarding suicide. Just three things we need. What is the solution in dealing with suicide? What do we need? Well, the first one is we need to have a proper view of self. We cannot be consumed and absorbed with self. Like some religions tell you you need to do. You need to look inside. You know what? If I look inside, it gets really ugly and I get miserable real fast. Because I am ugly on the inside. I don't want to look inside. I want to look up. Not look inside. Look up to Jesus. Look to the cross. Look at the Scriptures. We need have a proper view of self. Romans chapter 7, 14-25 Paul said about six times that he had sin living in him. He was pathetic in and of himself. He was wretched. He was a slave of sin that lived in him. That sin would be with him until he died to be in glory. And he concludes with the crescendo in verse 25 "O oh, wretched man that I am! That is a proper view of yourself. But Paul goes on by the grace of God. Yet Christ lives in me, not I. But Christ lives in me. And there's our hope. So we need to have a proper view of self. If you're a Christian, you are a sinner to the core, yet saved by grace. And our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. What else do we need? We need other people. That's the second thing we need. Many time, Probably most of the time, if not all the time, suicide is committed in isolation. Many times people have isolated themselves for a long period of time. And that's why Proverbs says... He who isolates himself is a fool. And that's why Genesis 2 says before the fall, it is not good for man to be alone. We were created in the image of God as a social being. We need inherently other people. We were created as social beings. To extract yourself from social interaction with other people, you become vulnerable to this kind of sin. We need other people. Don't isolate yourself. And then finally, the greatest need we have is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Because what is the gospel? The very de- definition of the gospel, according to 1 Timothy and other passages, the gospel is hope. And the scriptures also say that Jesus Christ, our hope. That's what people need. The good Jesus is good news. That's what people need. People that are down, depressed, distraught, with no hope, no meaning in life, they need good news. They need hope. They need purpose. The need to overcome despair is only found in Jesus, the person that He was, the glorious Savior that He was, His sacrificial death on behalf of sinners as He absorbed the wrath of God, rose again from the dead, guaranteeing our future resurrection in the next life, imparted to us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to be our comforter, our counselor, our joy. That is the good news. That is the hope that we can impart to people and help them overcome this terrible sin and temptation. Let's go to God in prayer and thank Him for, first of all, Scripture that is so informative for us and also that great glorious hope that we have in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we do thank You for being the Creator and also the Redeemer and as a result giving us purpose, meaning and hope in life. Thank You for being a good God. Thank You for Jesus Christ dying in the place of sinners, conquering our sin overcoming death, overcoming Satan, and giving us real hope in this world, in this very difficult world in which we live. And God, help us grow in our faith and in our hope through Your Word, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through interaction with other believers, and also as we just depend on You, a gracious God. We thank You, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.